up here where the vibes are better. There's lots of space, lots of space. So I am very curious what's going on in your minds. If there are any questions or topics, questions about the teachings or practice, please, Marissa. I said something to the effect of if you are not in touch with your body, uh, you, yeah, you're not in touch with reality. Because the reality can only be found in the present moment. Our body is always present. And if we are living absent-mindedly, we're not so well in touch with our body. Um, so if we're not in touch with our body, we're living absent-mindedly, we're, we're missing reality. So, I think all of that is meant to invite everyone, as the Buddha recommended, to first and foremost uh, direct your awareness, direct your mindful attention to your body. In fact, there is a wonderful little sutra that if I'm lucky I have it with me. I feel lucky tonight. But there is no guarantee. Well essentially it said if you if if you do one thing of all the things you could pay attention to, there is one thing that leads to happiness, to a calm abiding, to focus, to the sure heart's release, to the abandonment of the causes of suffering. What is that one thing? It is mindfulness directed to the body. So if you put your mind in your body, your body in your mind, Body will become calm. Mind will become calm. When we are calm in our minds, calm in our bodies, we don't want anything. We don't want to be, we don't want to be somewhere else. We don't need anything. We start to, we lose the uh, evidence that something's wrong, which we which is what our mind is telling us pretty maniacally and persistently that there's something wrong with the present moment, something wrong with me, something wrong with my life, 
and that I won't be happy until I figure it out or get there. And all of that quiets. And, and interestingly enough, when even if it doesn't quiet, we recognize it. We recognize what our mind is telling us. We start to, instead of believing, just unconsciously believing every little story our mind is telling us about what we need to be happy, we actually know, oh, my mind says that I won't be happy unless I go shopping. I won't be happy until the weekend. I won't be happy until the vacation or until my partner is different or until I've screamed at that person who is the cause of my suffering. So we laugh a little bit, but that's the kind of mental illness that floats through our mind that we believe. And that is, it, that's, a distor- that's what we call, one way of talking about it, that's distorted perception. Because in fact, nothing that can't be found here, now in fact, nothing that cannot be found here, now, in, within this fathom-long body, as the Buddha put it, nothing that cannot be found here can make you happier than you are. That all that search, all that endless search that our mind tells us we have to do for happiness leads mostly to misery, leads to dissatisfaction, leads to a, a feeling of, of reality is not okay. Reality, I don't want to be in reality. I want something different. And unfortunately, reality will continually call you back until you uh, find, uh, find harmony with it. Until you can, you can sit right in the middle and meet the, the winds that blow through your life, the easy ones and the hard ones, and you remain still. And still, or in, when I mean by still, is, is less reactive where your heart remains open, your eyes clear. As Derek Walcott says, what, what we need is here. We don't need new earth or heaven, but to be quiet in our hearts and in eyes clear, what we need is here. So that's a really different message than we are offered every day. It's mostly leave your body, believe your mind, Distract yourself any way you can. Get lost in thought. That's the message. You know, any way, anything but having to actually feel reality. And so often when we, when we start to feel our bodies, they're incredibly restless because we're so used to being disembodied, so used to not flowing with the, the river of feelings. We're mostly used to tightening around feelings because we're not used to them. And the more we tighten around feelings, the more we start thinking. And the more we start thinking, the less embodied we are. We don't even feel our bodies. We're just mostly, you know, I, I point here, but the thoughts aren't there. There's no location for them. But they, the winds tend to move up, though. We tend to be, we not, not feel that sense of, of um, settledness, groundedness. 
And uh, so, yeah, it's, if you're not in your body, you're not in reality. I just, um, j- just a second, I just finished leading a retreat at uh, Spirit Rock. And the, the, the end of a retreat is such a, a great example of what, of our common mental habits. Because as soon as the 24 hours before the retreat ends, people start inevitably and naturally start anticipating the end of the retreat. They start anticipating going, they've been in this pristine, precious, healing, safe, cocoon, womb of spirit rock where I was this time. And their bodies are calm, minds are, are, minds are settled a little bit more, hearts so tender, it's so, so absolutely sweet to look into people's eyes and to meet with them. And it just gives me confidence every day about our intrinsic nature when, when we have a, a, some measure of safety in our lives. But the mind starts leaping ahead. Of course, it does that at work every day, too. Or, you know, whatever we're doing, we tend to be obsessed with what's next. And it's partly from being disembodied. But at the end of a retreat, people can, can see their mind doing it. So we say, of course your mind is going to project the, the uh, going home. But the interesting thing is that that projection, because of the, the contrast that people think in their mind is, oh, I'm here and this is wonderful, I'm going home, and then instead of just knowing that going home is, is the same moment-to-moment attention that they were cultivating on the retreat, the tendency is to create this, this monolith of home in our mind with all the most difficult and stressful things that have to be dealt with. And it all gets, it all gets piled together into this, um, this big life. You know, nobody has a big life. Every single person has one moment at a time. And if you're in your body moment by moment, you see that it's only a moment at a time. So the whole idea of a big life you're going back to is just a story. It's one of those little narratives in our mind. It's how we create in our mind, moment to moment, uh, what the Buddha calls sakaya ditti, a, a view of ourselves, a view of ourselves of having come from the past, moving through the present, where I am now, on my way to the future. But that's never happened to anybody, really. Everybody's, the totality of every person's life has been being right where they are, moment by moment, and, and the present unfolding. Always right where I am, no matter where I'm going or where I've been, I'm only and always now. Nobody has ever come from somewhere else, going through here on our way to somewhere else. We're always right where we are. Whether I'm zooming down the highway, on my way, or on an airplane crossing the Atlantic Ocean, I'm right where I am. I'm always present. So this whole picture of time and this whole picture that tends to create a lot of stress is completely imaginary. It's maybe natural to imagine our life and all the things that we have, tasks that we have to fulfill. But the moment I do that and I don't know that I'm thinking, that I don't know that I'm, that I don't know that I'm in my body here and now having a thought about the future, if I don't know that, I will literally 
be born into that, I'll, I'll disappear into that world, that imaginary world, and I will take that world that I've created in my mind to be the reality, that I'm that person. And that version of me that has to make that transition to daily life or that has to get to the end of the week or whatever your version is of projection of time that the Buddha called Sakaya Ditti. It's a view of myself in time. It's imaginary. And a key component in putting our mind in our body and, and strengthening that sense of aware presence is that we start to wake up to see that that is a thought of myself and that my immediate and direct experience can't be captured in those thoughts. My immediate experience is I'm here. And if I check another moment, I'm here. So that whole idea of where I've gone and where I'm going, it's, it's, a, it's a little storyline. And once I wake up to that, I don't, and neither do you, I don't have to believe it. So what I, all, I, what I always say at the end of the retreats, and you can kind of alter this to whatever it is that you project onto your life. Because most people who, who take on practice say, I want, to, I want to integrate this into my life. I want, this is precious to me. I want to integrate it into my life. And maybe even what you experience on Tuesday night, you want to integrate it into your life. But once you start thinking of your life, you think of all the way, things that you do in your life, and how am I going to integrate this into my life? And all of a sudden, your life gets big, and you get anxious. How am I going to do that? I have this fledgling little practice. How am I going to enter? And then, so I, what I re, how I reframed it, and many of you have heard this with me at the end of retreats, is I said, no, you don't integrate your practice into your life. You integrate your life as it presents itself into your practice, which is right here. You don't have to go anywhere to integrate your practice. You just have to stay here. Stay right here. Bring it on. The next thing, okay, I've learned how to be mindful moment by moment here tonight, Tuesday night, and I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to be mindful as things unfold. When I, as I drive home tonight, I'm going to stay right where I am. The scene is going to change, and I'm going to notice the arising of anger if somebody cuts me off. Oh, isn't that interesting? But I'm going to stay right where I am. And the more I stay where I am, embodied, the more I'm going to have to feel all those habitual, conditioned reactions of greed, of hatred, of all the views that I have about myself. There's no escape. It's the wisdom of no escape. But at least I can start to know my mind instead of being just a slave to it. Because our minds are maniacally building a house of time that is a bit scary, a bit scary and daunting and and, but moment by moment, life is not as daunting. And I can't take care of the, the moment that um, happened before. It's, it's done. And I can't take care of the one that hasn't happened yet. But can all of us take care of this one? While we're in the, on this subject, while we're on the subject of what's real, what is your experience right now of reality, sitting here? If you don't 
go into one, if you don't consult one of those memorable stories about yourself, and before you project one of those stories onto the imagined future, what is your, what is the reality in this present moment? It may not be pleasant, but if you, if you hang out here a little bit, reality, you'll see that it's not easy to describe other than I'm here in some way, or I'm open, or I'm enough, or I'm something. But it's without your memory, without the, without the thinking mind's version of reality, it's pretty okay. Check it out. Anybody willing to say what it's like here after your last story has passed and before the next one comes? Points of sensation. That's workable. Anyone else? Calm. Calm. Safety. Safety. What's that? Joyful. Beautiful. It's so, to me, it's, it goes back to that word, the Tibetan word, emaho. How amazing. It's so amazing that we don't create anything here in, in pointing to that, there's no, we didn't create some kind of special experience. This is what's here and available to us when we're not busy looking somewhere, when we're not preoccupied. We're not, we're not um, using the past to define ourselves or the future projections of the past. Space is here, open, and inviting comfortable. Now, it may be a little unsettling at first not to have a way of defining yourself, not to have the usual suspects of, of views of whether you're okay or not. I think we get really comfortable being the one who's not okay. It's kind of, there's a kind of morbid pleasure in being miserable. You know, it's true. So it's um, so it's a, a maybe a little bit of a risk, but you don't have to go anywhere to feel okay. And that's what the that's what happened to the Buddha. The Buddha just tried and tried and tried to conquer the mind and become enlightened. And then he sat down and he saw everything my mind tells me. Everything, it just, it's coming and it's going and it's, and I can't find, there's no rest in that, in that, that stream of, of doubts and desires and fears. Because up until the time of his practice, he, you know, his mind was maniacally telling him he should fulfill every desire possible. That's what everybody said. And then when he started to, to, practice a bit of renunciation and started to uh, intuit or, and feel the, the uh, kind of joy of simplicity. And as, once he became mentally strong and very strongly embodied, he started to have that sense that the present is pretty compelling and why would I want to be somewhere else? But his mind kept saying, no, it can't be that easy. This is too wonderful. It can't be that easy. You don't deserve it. 
Who do you think you are? His mind said, no, you better just keep becoming someone. Just keep trying to get somewhere else. You know, keep up with everybody else. Keep up with the, with the Joneses. I always think of Bo Lozoff, who says, we're always all about keeping up with the Joneses, but we, it's time that we see that the Joneses are not happy. But anyway, kidding. So he sat there and he noticed, oh, this is not, this is, these thoughts, they're happening to me. They're not happening to somebody else, but these are not myself. A story of me is not me. They're selfless. They're just these, just these habitual thoughts. And how do we, how can we come out of the tangle of our thinking other than to notice them? To not be a slave to them. And how do we not be a slave? We have to notice them. And the only way to notice them is being here and awake. And what a wonderful anchor for, our, for being here, but this body. It just, if I'm knowing my body, I'm here. So just one last thing about that. So then I just want to say what happened to him. Once he stopped following the stories... Then he, he, he followed it. He tried to follow his moods, and they were the same way. Very personal, but very selfless. They were just coming and going. Then the body, oh, it's my body. Even the body he saw was not permanent, not, not, it was operating according to its own laws. He couldn't, couldn't tell it to feel good all the time, couldn't tell it to not to get sick and old and die. So he, he knew that. He felt that. And once he saw that, he said, I'm not going to cling or get identified with, get caught up in my thoughts, my moods, my body. And the moment he stopped clinging, stopped that process of identification, his mind relaxed. And he saw that in a flash of insight, that the, the sense of okayness, the sense of freedom, sense of sufficiency, enoughness, was always already the very nature of his mind. We're already the nature of ourselves. And it's so close, it's easy to miss So it's really, so there's nothing, no better place to begin than to put your mind in your body. That's how you'll find reality. And the reality is you're not what you think. You're not not who you think you are. As one uh, one of my Korean Zen teachers said, who are you? You think you know you don't know. So what you think is not it. But every, you know, the people who spoke up, they didn't say when they checked out, when you check out who or what you are on uh, present evidence, not one person said, well, I'm not enough. I should be different. I'll never get enlightened. Everybody else has got it together and I don't. My life doesn't worry. Nobody said that because you don't find that. 
on present evidence. You just find, you find presence. And you may find that story floating through your mind, but it doesn't, it's not as sticky when you're present. Anyway, I saw a few other hands go up, so what, okay, Madison, you were first. Two wonderful teachers at Spirit Rock this weekend. Uh, and Sunday, I had a perfect day. And on Saturday, I actually had to leave. Okay, on Sunday, she had a perfect day. On, sun, on, on Saturday, she had to leave. There, they ha- we have, at Spirit Rock, there are non-residential programs where people come in and out. And I was up on the hill doing a residential retreat. So, yeah, go ahead. Somebody was eating and she had a little reaction to it, but then she worked with it. Then the cell phone. You got triggered. You had a strong, aversive reaction. What was happening when you moved your seat? Uh, I couldn't see as well. And oh. I realized that there was a reason why I sit in the front and not in the back. It just it wasn't working for me. Yeah. And, and I sat with that. And then I came back and the teacher made an announcement. We would like all cell phones to be turned off in the room because it interferes with the sound. And I thought, yes. You know, and I sat with that. Four seconds later, she had the cell phone on again. And I sat with that. <laughs> and then I thought, I have, had, I have done every single thing that I could do, and I am sitting with all of it. And then suddenly I realized I cannot sit here anymore. And when you say you were sitting with it, what does that mean exactly? Trying to get past it? What about turning toward the, the pain of the irritation and saying, wow, this hurts so much. I am so contracted. Ouch. This is a moment of suffering. Suffering is part of life. Can I meet this with some kindness? I'm suffering right now. 
That's what I would want you to do. Okay. That was sort of my yeah. question because finally I took a deep breath and I thought, oh, it's not working and I, yeah. I don't like to leave and I took a deep breath. And yeah, I think you were, you were hoping it would go, the, the aversion would go away and that's just, uh, that has the effect of compounding the aversion. That has the effect of strengthening it. So it really is saying it's opening to what you're experience, experiencing and not knowing whether it will go away or not. But what you would do with someone who, is, who, is, um, who has a condition that they can't get away from, you would, just, you would feel compassion toward them. But we don't, we're not so good at self-compassion. One second, we have another hand, and then I'll get to you. I, that's all we can do right now, but please, go ahead. Well, all future plans are made in the present moment. There's never anything been... There has no, been no other time that plans have been made other than at whatever present moment that was that that plan was being made. Yeah, you have to think about the future, but a thought of the future is not the future. It's, it's a thought arising in the present moment. So that's all. It's, it, the present includes everything. Everything that ever was and ever is, is or ever will be is right here. It's just the, it, the, these, these, uh, these places called past and future just do not exist as reality. They only exist as projections in this unfolding present. And that's what we have to discover. Don't believe me. Where is the past now? And where is the future? But yet our mind projects these as though they're real. Projects as though we have come from the past on our way here to the future. So the past is back there, right? And then the future is up there. Is that right? Is that true? It's just a a story. I've shared this many times on Tuesday night, but there was a culture I studied when I in graduate school that had their view of the past was the past is um, ahead of you because you can see it. The future is behind you because you can't see it. So how's that mess with your mind? <laughs> you realize how much we're living in these kinds of projections as though they're reality. And they're just, they're just pictures. So we don't get rid of that, but we recognize, oh, I'm having a thought, I'm planning. There's a need right now that I'm recognizing that I don't have a job. I don't have a job. And in order for me to secure my future and my family's future, I need to, I need to, uh, to do everything right now to plant the seeds so that those future present moments will, will be ones that are... Um, where I have enough food on the table. So all that happens right here. What happens, though, and those thoughts of the present, those thoughts of the future, tend to proliferate, and we literally are living in those thoughts, and we've lost touch here. So if I know that I'm thinking about the future and planning, and I'm, I have, I'm, I'm somewhat attuned to the fact that I'm here doing that, and I'm feeling my body, that whole process is a lot less anxiety-provoking because I know this is where the this is where relief and happiness and freedom are. I'm, I have that already if I stay here. 
if I stay, stay embodied as I, as I plan. And if I know I have it already, then, I, then the future, how it turns out, yeah, I, I, I will, I'm not sure how things will work out, but at least I'll stay present. And I know if I stay present, I can work with the situation, whatever unfolds. And I can't, and if, but if I'm so worried about the future that I'm so anxious that I can't, feel, I can't stay in my body, that's just not a very workable way to go through life in a state of, in a state of uh, fear and torment. Because it's not possible to know how things will unfold. Anyway, I think I could go on and on about that. Please, the person who had their hand up. Last one. You're... Yeah, turning toward emotions instead of away. Did you could you slow slow it down a little and make it a little louder? Yes, past past traumatic experience lives in the present. In in reactivity and fight or flight and and yet the and the way to accommodate those feelings is a delicate process and you can't just immediately go right into them and for the most part we, we, because we tend to just not to overuse this kind of language we tend to get re-traumatized unless you find unless there is a you have a pretty strong attention and you develop certain skills of being able to slowly accommodate some of those feelings. But the way that we get the practice doing that is feeling the feelings that we're having on a regular basis and, uh, and building up to the hard stuff. But you, you can't always, you can't predict when things will come, but there is a way to even accommodate the feelings that arise that are associated with past trauma. So we actually have to call it a, is it a comment or a question or? Quick one. Um, I love the story about the, um, the wise chaplain, the wise woman. You like the wise woman. <laughs> what, what do you think that conversation sounded like after the chaplain asked that question? He asked, what do you think that conversation would sound like uh, after the traveler asked the question? I don't think it would be in words. I think it would just be, it would just be the transmission of her state of mind, which was, which was very much about being. Pre- I think the person would intuit that it has something to do about learning to, to live in the present moment, learn, and just that quality of open-heartedness that, that, that transmits heart to heart, mind to mind. I think we're doing it all the time here. We're. We're sharing our, we're sharing our, love moment by moment. Mark, I can't do it tonight. You can come up and talk with me now. Okay. Ah, she would tell the traveler he already has it. Yeah. Yeah, that's why. That's a little bit of he wouldn't say anything. It's point pointing out. Always already. Thank you. That was that was the right answer. Let's just sit quietly for 10 seconds. See, notice how we're...
we're anxious to get on to the next thing. <laughs> this is part of our restlessness. So what if we just sit for a few moments and just consider the possibility that you have all the time in the world. In fact, step out of time completely. Past, gone, future, unborn. Even the present is another idea. Just reality. And having some feel, some hunch that that hanging out a little bit in reality is of some benefit, brings some blessing, some goodness. Let's just share all of those blessings and goodness with all beings that we also touch into when we are quiet. We connect with the intimately with the world when we are present. The same life that flows through you flows through me. And let's share the blessings of our presence with a deep wish that all beings can know happiness, true happiness and the cause of happiness. Be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. All beings can rest in natural great peace that all beings can grow in serenity. And I wish that our practice every day is dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings know reality. Thanks for hanging in there with me, and thank you for your generosity. Thanks for your practice, and hope to see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.